Broadsheet Radio. Welcome to another episode of Shared History. History is forever. Oh, it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's until somebody rewrites it for better or, or worse. Or forgets it. Yeah. No. Well, oh, yeah, or, I guess. History is. Burns it that. with all of the other. <laughs> just, it just, why do I make everything about the burning of libraries? Natalie, how many times a day do you think about the Library of Alexandria and or other antiquities that have been burned? Every time Adobe crashes and I think that I lost a file <laughs> and it did back it up semi-recently, even though I forgot to hit save. And or, you scream and you say, this is my Alexandria. And I'm reminded get that as much as programs suck, technology saves my ass a lot. <laughs> and then I have flashbacks to like high school and college assignments when I thought that I lost a uh, version oh. of projects, which just stresses me out. I don't want to be stressed anymore. So Let's I'm not talk about this. Let's not talk about this. Like no fire and no losing save documents. No, I like you're afraid of fire and I'm afraid of losing save <laughs> And that says a lot about who we are as people. It does. It does. I'm going to introduce our guests now. Our guests today are the hosts of Beyond Reproach, a comedic po history podcast about scandals and scandalousness in politics and government. One is a 72-year-old woman living in a 38-year-old gay man's body. The other is a Maya Angelou superfan whose bloodstream is probably at least 40% Aperol spritzes. Both are certified nerds and Brooklynites. I don't know if Brooklynites is the correct word, but it is now. It is. Uh, who oh, yeah. cast a nice stock on the internet. It's Tuck Lurzel and Stephanie Domingo. Hiya. Oh, Hi. I don't know which intro matched which person, though, Natalie. So that could have been either. <laughs> That's I hilarious. Did in the order that then I said their names, but all of them. I'll say I'm the 72 year old woman yes. in a gay man's body. You can't give me that information in a bio and not have that be what I lead your intro <laughs> with. That's yes. We're clear. That's fair. I uh, related to it on a very deep level. <laughs> I love you two, and I'm so excited that you guys are on because Cass and I have followed Beyond, Repro Pro Beyond Reproach since we were little baby newborn podcasters in the <laughs> comedic history podcast space. Yeah. And we barely ever touch American. Well, no, we touch American history a lot, but whenever we're covering American history in the back of my mind, I'm always like, approach would do this better <laughs> just because a lot of the scan i feel like most scandals and scandalousness is in american history in we, american yeah we we set the bar pretty high for, yeah. for scandals in american politics yeah my favorite bit of american history is a scandal so watergate is to me some of uh, the most fascinating bullshit in american history yeah the whole thing yeah, I it's such like, a big story. We yeah. haven't touched it yet, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's wild. I feel like if you're a, a 
history podcast about conspiracies in America, that's kind of like a either a it's an obvious choice or like we really need to build up to that. Watergate is like totally our Watergate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that means. The, <laughs> I know what the, Watergate is. That's what all the gates come from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. Yeah. I I feel like it's such a big story that we've been afraid to touch it because we would have to do it's we would probably have to do it in multiple episodes. Yeah. That would be a for season. sure. Jesus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Totally. <laughs> there's so yes. many moving parts and it's all so scandalous. And there's so different ways. Like there's so there's so many scandals kind of happening concurrently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they all feed into each other in like a different way. I just always have found I find that in assassinations to be very fascinating. Um, that sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> we have a we have a listener. Shout out to Sean Pasek, who uh, is also a personal friend of mine. So he has my home address, not something that I give out to all of our <laughs> listeners. I would hope not. <laughs> uh, listeners, get your pens out. No, no, it no. Is... Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, he sends he sends me notes on Watergate uh, hotel stationery. He has a lot of. <laughs> oh like, my god. god. Hotel stationery, and he sent me a note the other day that said, "I want you to know that this notepad is reserved for just <laughs> sending you little letters." And I'm like, Thank "That's you. incredible! I love That's that. a good friend. Yeah, yeah. We send each other a lot of mail. He's my male friend. <laughs> I have a male friend as well. Oh my god, I love that, Stephanie. I will send you mail. We'll swap. We'll swap seats. Oh hell yeah! I am like a stationary stationary horror. Like I just every time, like after the holidays there's always like a sale on everything i have i have so much like i'm drowning in paper natalie makes me feel bad because she will do like themed letters so like she'll write like a victorian british (gasps) it has oft been the years since and like use (laughs) like a a calligraphy she'll like do a harry potter one with a wax seal oh my god are you writing with a quill no, I wish. I do have from our sponsor Raygun. I have a a a, a pen that is rubber and has a like a rubber feather on it and I feel very fancy Amazing. whenever I use it. It's dead now, but I still have it on my desk. <laughs> no, but I do do a wax seal. I do that. Amazing. I I love that for you. Thank you. So how long have you been podcasting? Whose podcast is this Tux? What are you talking? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know, this I know. on us. Uh, I just because you were saying that you started listening to us, but I feel like we haven't been around that long. I feel like we haven't been around that long. Yeah. So it's been two and three, almost three years, five seasons. So okay. Five seasons, but like 2000. Yeah, it was like late 2000, mid 2019. Because there okay. were a few podcasts when we first started the podcast that we kind of followed who kind of started around the same time as us. So we feel like we've grown up together. Yes. And who would like follow and like repost other podcasts. And then we would check those podcasts out. And then, mm-hmm. and yeah. And that is how we found our way. It's a fun little community. I never, yeah. when, when we first started, I never expected that part of it. That we would have peers. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Yeah. It's yeah. I like fun. to think that we're all secretly competing with each other. And then I remember <laughs> that there's enough history for us all. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's also funny that we are sort of like the the one that is devoted just to American history. I I think a lot of people think that American history is just super boring because the way it's taught in school is super boring. But like, if you pay attention, it's fascinating. And it it's is riveting. so filled with scandal and mess. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's a messy. Like we have enough for messy. for many lifetimes. Like yeah. the scandals. <laughs> like we can do this into our retirement. Like there's mm-hmm. there's an endless supply of mess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's not like it's nothing like against American history. It is 100% against the way that it's taught in school. Yes. Totally. Yeah, Which totally. I don't blame. I blame uh, common. Uh, what is what is I, I blame no child common core. Oh, oh, oh that too. Behind. Totally. Well, whenever we bring guests on, yeah, they left a lot of kids behind. When we bring on guests, we say, "By the way, what's your experience with history? Did you like it?" And a lot of people kind of have this like, like I like it. I'm really interested in it, but I hated it in school. People like to choose your own adventure history. Like I think that's. Yeah. I liked I liked history class, and I am not afraid to admit it. But I, I also did not really take. I had to. I took the required amount of American history and no more. Uh, I took yeah. a lot of other. I my senior year of high school, I it had no other electives because I didn't need to take a foreign language anymore, and I didn't need to take uh band or choir anymore slash i couldn't because it conflicted with my ap euro class this is where my priorities lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so i doubled down and i took like three history classes wow like, three or four history classes my senior that's year amazing. of high school instead so like that's, that's yeah. but none of them were american uh, okay i definitely hated history class i i it's so date heavy and i'm really bad with dates yeah and i would just get mad that i would i would do poorly on tests because of the dates so i was like fuck this history is stupid I, mm-hmm. i'm not interested at all um but i love food and i got really into food history in college and that was sort of where my love of history kind of took off because food history ties in with with other history so yeah and food is very political especially in this country yeah. um i I didn't love history. I felt like it was super boring, but I was such a nerd. Like I got straight A's on everything because I can remember dates and then they'll <laughs> fall out of my head. Like once the test is over, you think you're um, better than me <laughs> in short. Yes. No, of course not. But it's, it's silly to remember dates. Like I have no connecting like knowledge. Like I, I know what I need to pass to, well, to get a good grade on a test, but like there was no like, I don't know, like background. There was no texture to what I really learned. You'll never the date remember the date because there's no context along. Exactly. With it. Yeah. Exactly. But I I was really into politics, and that was kind of my way back into history, like learning where these policies started and like why they originated. And I I kind of like um, I inspired Tux <laughs> to get really political. Yeah. I radicalized him. That's um, a fact. <laughs> I yes. didn't know this. I learned this on the podcast that I radicalized you by shaming you for not knowing who, like, God. it was Joe Biden. Yeah, I didn't I know. know who Joe Biden was, but this was in 2007. Yeah. Or two, yeah. But it was leading up to the 2008 election. And I, she was like, oh, yeah, Joe Biden's going to be the VP. That's so cool. And I was like, who? Yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and look at us now. Yes. Yeah. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe, Ugh, the, Uncle Joe, just four humans with with history podcasts and a president, Uncle Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How far? Not we my uncle. Fallen? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like how far we've fallen, not how far. Yeah, we've totally. 
Remember when the height of Joe Biden was those were those Joe Biden Obama memes? Yes. Yeah. Of like yeah. them just being buddies and like, hey, Bros. Obama, totally. let's hold hands, walk into the Oval yeah. Office. Yeah. I don't I don't know if you remember the the um VP debate in 2008 but he said malarkey yes. like a bunch of times. Yes. And that's like up until he ran for president that was my thing for Joe Biden was like <laughs> yeah malarkey. Aviators and malarkey that's Yeah. yeah totally. Uh well, we were so young then. We were mm-hmm. so young and naive. <laughs> totally. <laughs> A moment of silence for our youth. Yes. Can we? <laughs> and it's getting sad. Yeah. No, okay. Uh, okay. Quick talk about fires. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing, uh, in addition to just, you know, asking our guests if they even give a shit about history <laughs> that we uh, that we like to we like to dip into is history is written by the victors, often privileged white men. Um, and I like to, we we like to explore history and kind of seize our own, plant our own little flags, make our own little discoveries because, you know, much like Alexander Graham Bell did not invent the telephone, but everybody thinks he did, Mm -hmm. uh, because he was like, this is mine now, uh, or rather history was like, this is mine now. It's Uh, the way of his people. Yeah. (laughs) Um, white men. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Uh, we, we want to plant some flags of our own, make our own claims, be our own, I was going to say be our own Christopher Columbus's, and then I realized that I don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. People will be throwing our statues into the river. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know that you've made it. (laughs) (laughs) Not when you get a statue, when they start throwing it in the river. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's how you know that you've made a difference Mm -hmm. in the world. (laughs) Not for the better, but a difference. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, Tux, Stephanie, do you have any discoveries that you've made recently that we can credit to you and only you? (laughs) Oh, I didn't know it was me and only me. Oh, no, no. No no matter what you said, you own it now. It's you. Oh, okay. You're going to colonize this discovery. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we were talking in like the, you know, pre banter about um, what one of my guilty pleasures, the British baking show or the bake off if you're on the other side of the pond. (laughs) I've been watching the show so consistently like I watch every like special I just recently watched the um, the holiday special and I've just refused to Google the word stodgy. Um, even though I think, Amazing. I mean, don't laugh. I mean, laugh. It's silly. I really thought because they use it so often, like it's so consistently like a negative comment that I could just piece it together with context clues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I finally broke down and I had to Google it, y'all. Like it, it broke my heart. But now I, I'm almost even more confused. So do you guys right? know what stodgy means? So no, what is the and official... I Googled it. Yeah. Exactly. I Googled it too. So the official term, I mean, I don't have it up right now, but it means like compacted. It means like heavy. It means um, something that is um, just like excessive, like filling is kind of a word. And I'm just like, how are any of these words that I just said bad? 
But that's like my American mind. I could, as as somebody who bakes a lot, I could see that being a bad thing in a cake because it's like, in my mind, no, it but means... it's not just cakes though. They say it for breads. They say it for like puddings. They say it for everything. So it's like, huh. oh, I like yeah, this, when but they it's say a bit it for stodgy. Puddings, that confuses me. Yeah, I feel right? like pudding is stodgy okay. by nature. Yeah, I feel thank like you, <laughs> thank you. Like but it's like supposed objective. to be stodgy. Oh yeah. my god, you guys, stodgy by nature is stodgy. <laughs> That's gonna be the next Bake Off, like That's appropriating. Like, Tux's new even... like rap, like yes. rapper, like yeah. by nature. I love that, this. Yes. It's I can't like wait a for the mixtape to drop. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I He's on see SoundCloud, Pruley. you guys. Like all, check all, him out. All baking themed rap songs <laughs> about like gingerbread and <laughs> sticky Ooh. toffee pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, such a weirdly specific but also like not specific definition. I think it's confusing. It's so vague. I have more questions now that I googled it than before. Yeah, well, and it means something different based on what, like, if it's bread, stodgy Mm -hmm. is different than cake, stodgy is exactly different Different in different contexts. I feel like I can feel stodgy in my mouth when they say it like if i'm yeah. eating it i'm like mm, i could yeah i could see it would probably be like that but i don't know what it means yeah and it's like i think like stodgy like something that's filling and rich is like good yeah that's like the yeah it's a baking show like it I'm should so, be yeah. rich I'm, is it like too dense almost that's what i'm thinking yeah, yeah. and they, for cake and bread it's gonna be so too I had dense to, and not, i had like, to look airy. up like several different definitions but yeah dense was one of the definitions that i did see on the internet and it's like okay i get that but like everything else like filling rich um when i googled it it said vocabulary you need to know to watch great british bake oh my god (laughs) but it still didn't go that much into what stachy meant i think i use the i think i hear it and immediately go towards like dodgy which is like mm. one of my favorite like britishisms if you will that i use all the time yeah. i'll just be like it's a bit dodgy uh <laughs> and i like to feel cultured whenever i say so uh but and so i always thought that it just kind of meant like i don't know it's like so suspect. it's funny that you say that because that is one like adjective for it but it's like dull and uninspired is like the the main term huh. the main um you don't want paul calling you uninspired so. yeah no. but it's just like how is bread uninspired i'm it's just bread. I'm, con- I'm confused there's gotta be like a like an american like, english equivalent to it like that we use every day that's like we know exactly what it means but it's so vague i don't think we do i don't think we're that specific with our tastes no because america American food is all mayonnaise. I don't know. I live in the West. <laughs> I mean, it's and like sugar. it's all stodgy. <laughs> yeah, it's all sugar and salt and mayonnaise. And yeah. F- yeah. Um, Unless you're in the South and it's just all butter or sugar. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like stodgy, something that's heavy and filling is is like how I grew up. My mom's from Alabama. <laughs> that does make me think of any time it's pie week. And then, yes. oh, my like, oh my God. I love pie week. Make, uh... Not a soggy bottom. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> Anytime it's pie week and they they do like an American pie. Uh, mm-hmm. an American oh my god, pie. they love to diss American pie. <laughs> what was is it I, pumpkin pie that they just like went? They hate it. Oh, I think even like like an apple pie or something that they're they like, hate an apple pie. 
It was they, something oh. that seemed very like that seems pretty universal, but maybe key lime pie. Way. Oh yeah, key lime. Maybe I that's hated what it was. key lime pie. It's too no, sweet. but Paul Paul Hollywood loves a key lime pie. Oh, I don't know. Do you remember the older seasons when Mary Berry was on? Those she are used the only say, ones I've watched. I mean, oh, okay. I live for Mary Berry, and I. Yeah. She's the only judge in my head. I, I live for Melon Sue, so that's... Oh, I know. I miss them so much. Yeah. So, Mary Berry used to say scrummy instead oh, yeah. of scrumptious. <laughs> and my mother has planted her flag in scrummy. She yeah. says scrummy all the time now. And I was like, who are you? Where did this come from? But scrummy is, like, intuitive. Unlike yeah. stodgy, which yeah. is, like, just confusing. Like, I'm scrummy reading another... is a feeling. Totally, yes. totally. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. Oh, a great vibe. British Bake Off vocabulary podcast. Now. I know. I'm just looking All at right. another definition of stodgy, and it says high in carbohydrates, and it's like, how is that bad? That's it, also how is that bad? It's Bake yeah, Off on a baking show. If you call bread, if you call bread stodgy, and you mean that definition, I'd be like, yes, it's bread. It's bread. <laughs> yes. Hux, what about what about you? Now that we know that what your mother plants her yes. flag. In, <laughs> What what is your what have you discovered recently? So I am really into bad art. I really like <gasps> oh yeah, yeah. Um, like paintings that Just like, look behind him. I know yeah, um, <laughs> paintings that like someone's grandma painted and then got dumped at a thrift store. I will buy all of them, and I have so many paintings that I have them stored in like a storage unit because I don't. This have is what he's paying money to do. Because but he so has I. That many. Wait, I you discovered, live in Brooklyn and you don't have storage space? I know, imagine that. <laughs> yes. Um, but so I have discovered uh, that Goodwill has a website called shopgoodwill.com. I almost don't want you to tell people about this. I know. <laughs> I, I, I almost didn't because I was like, I don't want people hunting for bad art. <laughs> but that's yeah, yeah, I have right? gotten so many amazing, terrible paintings. It's, but I've also gotten some really good, like actually have. good ones too, for the cheap. Second, you said that you do. They have to be paintings, or is it? Can it be? Generally, I, I buy have a haunted boy, uh, like draw. I think it's more of like a like line art situation, like okay. drawing. That that works. Um, I used have to that have as well. Haunted boy with a penny farthing, uh, in our guest room at our house, and it amazing. was amazing. It came with the frame at Goodwill, and I was like, you know what, <laughs> this is staying. <laughs> yeah and i would send it to you but i think i gave it to a friend i i would have to put it in storage anyway <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to haunt the storage unit yeah exactly exactly Keep do you them rotate them do you rotate your gallery i do them? yeah generally anytime i get a new one it, like old ones shift out but at some point i'm gonna have to go back and go through the storage and that's like when people ones. collect like cheesy mugs you know totally, yeah and then you just at a certain point one in one out <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm running out of wall space for sure. I uh, now am inspired to maybe fill the new little podcasting room with bad art. Yeah. It's Goodwill. Good Shopgoodwill.com. If I get some on canvas, that's great for acoustics. Oh, yeah. 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 You don't need soundproof, soundproofing stuffs. Cast yeah. what she's talking about. <laughs> that's I the have... technical term. <laughs> I am currently sitting on the floor to podcast because it's my only room with carpeting and thus acoustics. So when it comes to audio Science. engineering and acoustics, <laughs> I'm your gal. Uh, oh. What? Now that we've learned so much about 
Thank you for your discoveries. Well, thank you so much for your brave discoveries. <laughs> brave. I'm I'm waiting for my statue. Yeah, I I, I want my medal now. <laughs> like, actually, whoever makes a statue of Tux, it has to have bear like no likeness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it has to be questionably. It, it's Tux only because somebody said that it was. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whisper of Tux. Yeah. <laughs> It's That's like gonna the, be the name of the statue. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Lacroix of me. yes, exactly. <laughs> what, what story have you brought for us today? Tell us a story. Tell so us a we, story of scandal. I'm sure. I mean, there's so many scandals to choose from, but we are bringing you a story that felt really relevant and fresh, despite being over well almost a hundred years old. It's a story about reproductive rights which feels very topical, unfortunately, these days. Yeah, and how- It always feels topical. And I mean, very facts. That it is yeah. Don't you hate that it's relevant? <laughs> that it's always <laughs> relevant because they're always trying to control women's bodies. Yeah, yeah. I do hate it. It I sucks. I hope somebody finds, I hope somebody is listening to this episode of this podcast and it's 10 years from now and it's not. Oh. I know, seriously. <laughs> oh, I know. That would be- oh. Because otherwise oh. they just sighed the heaviest sigh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh. shit, still? Just was, yeah. So that I've brought the mood down. <laughs> no, 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 no. This story, it's it's like, it's not positive, but it's fun. Because it's, um, you know, there's a lot of shitty people that we can make fun of in it, which is. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> You're like sold. That's the only way we're able to make our show fun yeah. is to find shitty people to talk about. <laughs> and it's not of. hard to find these shitty people. Yeah. We're doing out American here. scandals. Yeah. 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 Like... So this this scandal it intersects disability rights as well. So there's a long history of people with disabilities, most often people of color, being robbed of the right to control their own reproduction. So this story actually laid the foundation for the IUD that was placed in Britney Spears while under her conservatorship. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So there's a lot. And so I'm just going to jump right in because the story is so, so important now more than ever. I feel, I mean, we're all kind of looking sideways at, I don't know when this is going to be uh, released, but I know I'm looking sideways right now at the Supreme Court, just like waiting to see what they're going to do about if they're going to gut Roe v. Wade or not. Yep. Doesn't that just scare the shit out of you? Every day. Yes. I mean, they're going to. It's just a matter of how many weeks are they going to scale it back? I don't yeah. see. I, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm in denial just because this is an issue that affects so many people. It's not just women. This is a public health crisis if changed um i just don't think they would be that stupid but maybe they will i don't know maybe i'm just like we uh have been perpetuating a lot of public health crises oh, yeah facts yeah you're right in, in 2021 what you're are you right about? okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about nothing <laughs> nothing so the story we have for you today is the 1927 buck v bell case this case hinged upon a state's rights to forcibly sterilize a young woman that it de deemed unfit to have a child. Unfit is in air quotes. Um, unfit due to mental deficiencies, which is also in air quotes. This story is fucking bullshit, as you will soon learn. The I seven nothing less. Right? The 17-year-old <laughs> plaintiff, Carrie Buck, was sterilized because of 
because a bunch of assholes said the magic word feeble-minded yeah this it's yeah it's mess this landmark case should be infamous but few people have heard about it like at the time when we released this scandal on our podcast my older sister was in law school and she had to google it like this is not being taught in law schools so it's not being taught anywhere else (laughs) yes it's not being taught anywhere else which is just so i mean it explains everything actually um so just a trigger warning for survivors of sexual violence this story does involve rape we don't go into detail but i think it's worth just noting up top um with that said please prepare (laughs) with that said please prepare your minds for just you know fuck shit because we're talking eugenics baby (laughs) a word that too many people only know now because of cards against humanity facts (laughs) yeah so so what do you two like nat and, and Cass? like what do you think of when you hear the word um eugenics I think of that um, model of the head that's got the lines oh, yeah. on it. Oh, you know? yes. Yes. That, yes. It, does that have to do with it, right? Totally, yes. Yes. That's the first it's, like it's just visual image. scientific racism, essentially. Yeah. I yes. think of Nazis. Oh, yes. There you go, yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> they were, yeah, big, big, big into that. They certainly they were. They were. So when I think of it, I think of Hitler. I think of um, his, you know, genocidal quest to create this master race. I think of Nazis. Um, but in school, like when I was learning about eugenics and it was a very brief, it was like three sentences, like it had a very distinctly like foreign undertone. This was something that the evil Germans did over there, but like we set them straight, you know, wearing our little like Captain America outfit with our you know (laughs) blowing in the wind um what was missing from our class discussions was the fact that nazi eugenics was based on what was already happening in the u.s at the time we kind of gave them this the idea for this in the first place um decades old eugenics policies here inspired the nazis to launch their own program which was as we all know the precursor to the holocaust so i was shocked when i learned this um Shocked for just, you know, a few seconds because <laughs> I am a black woman living in America. Like I, I, I have a lot of hope for this country, but I don't have a lot of illusions about <laughs> its founding and just how it has always operated. You know, we are, it's a country founded in white supremacy. It's, it's sadly what we do best in a lot of ways. It's our finest export. Yeah, it's um, like the number one export <laughs> is hate. It's like we're yeah, so good at it. we're so good at it. Like, of course, we have these like proto Aryan like quote unquote thought leaders. Like, we had terrible people like Madison Grant, who is a shit man you've never heard of because he sucks. Um, but he gave us a term that we all are unfortunately aware of. He wrote this popular book called "The Passing of 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 the Great Race." In it, he talked about the superiority of a race that he made up called the Nordics. So in this like make-believe race that it was supposedly the most recently evolved. So their genes were easily diluted by what he called primitive races. 
this superior race was oh. not yet stable so it had to be preserved at all co- it's like it's the weirdest weak shit ever it's like is it that's some sci-fi bullshit right totally there. right like, totally. that sounds like like uh oh fuck what's the scientology guy oh, oh l, l. Ron, ron it sounds yeah. like l ron hubbard yeah. but absolutely his quote-unquote fiction stuff yeah (laughs) you're saying that this race is so superior but it's also like super weak because it needs to be like coddled and protected it makes negative sense yeah yeah so regardless of this um hitler wrote a very stanish letter to grant he wrote this is a quote your book was my bible Man, you know you're doing something right when Hitler's right. Like your number one. <laughs> right? Hitler's like, you, right? I get, you get it. You just you, get it. You just get it, man. <laughs> this is what I've been trying to tell them. <laughs> yeah. um, so a little bit of, of background on eugenics uh, for any of your listeners who might be unfamiliar with this concept. The movement started within uh, British academia. Originally, it was sort of like a like college egghead kind of a concept. <laughs> But it quickly kind of moved into popular culture and people were like, oh, wow, this is so great. I love this idea. But it wasn't until it moved to the United States that it moved from being just this sort of popular idea in culture and and in people's minds to being actually made into law. And this was made there were eugenics laws across the country in a majority of states here in the u.s yeah. well, if there's one thing we know how to do it's market things <laughs> absolutely really we're so selling. good at it yeah. Yeah. that's I'll, i feel like that's like if some like fad like if atkins was made into law totally. you know it's like yeah. oh this is new absolutely. like yes. fad science mm-hmm. yeah but this now good for you good for us good for the nation yeah absolutely yeah well, there's also there is a lot of uh, white supremacy rooted in weight loss culture, too. So yeah. it, it is yeah. like directly correlated. Well, kind of um, or runs parallel. But so in theory, the idea of eugenics kind of sort of comes out of the science behind Darwin's study of evolution. And so that's where the science comes in. But that's also where the science ends. <laughs> yeah, <'cause>... totally. <laughs> um this this guy named Sir Francis Galton, who was oddly enough Darwin's half cousin, came up with this theory of biological determinism. He basically thought that humans could control their own evolution through eugenics, which is a term that he coined in 1883. His idea was basically you pair the the most beautiful, most intelligent, and most physically fit people in 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 the land. And, you know, encourage them to mate together and their offspring would be like the creme de la creme of human breeding stock and and society, you know, greater society would benefit from having these like thoroughbred breeders in in our population all i'm thinking is yukonuba dog show but <laughs> totally. with humans just like walking around yeah. like <laughs> well it kind of gets there i'll yeah yeah it, at one point you're, you're on to something yeah <laughs> oh no that was oh no unfortunately <laughs> yeah. yeah uh i'll get into this in just a second i have a little bit more to say but yeah it does sort of get there um but so This guy, um, Galton, believed that the differences between different people's ability and success and social status was mostly due to genetics, that um, the elite, the sort of ruling class, they were in the positions that they were in due largely to their superior genes. 
Uh, this, of course, never takes into account that these elite people benefit from privileged environments and generational wealth and nepotism, that kind of thing. Um, it also completely ignores the fact that the royal families of Europe are often inbred and mm -hmm. most of the time their children look like toes with teeth. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks to their good genetics. Yes. Superior. Uh, don't yes. you know? <laughs> like they have the receipts. Totally. <laughs> like before eugenics even became popularized, like you have the receipts of all of this inbreeding. Yeah. yeah. And they know it's because of inbreeding. Yes. Like, come on. Nope. No, but this is newer and better. Their their genes are so great. We just gotta keep them <laughs> keep them, you know, intact. Um but so Galton was heavily influenced by a mathematician named Gregor Mendel, who uh, you may have heard of before. He studied pea plants and learned about dominant and recessive genes and generational genetic characteristics. Oh, yeah. Give me some Punnett squares. Yes, <laughs> right? Da -na -na -na. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so Galton saw this study by Mendel and was like, he made this wildly idiotic leap from pea plants to suddenly believing that humans could therefore be cultivated like outrageous literally outrageous it makes <laughs> negative sense i don't get it and this is despite the fact that at the time scientists couldn't even predict fruit fly eye color through genetic science because it was just too complex and too poorly understood we still but, don't understand human intelligence yeah galton was like yeah genes can predict human intelligence it's fine we they can't predict Fruit fly eye color, but I, I we got this. We know we know how to make it happen. Human, yeah, totally. <laughs> the, the term, the like phrase, you can't fix stupid. Yes, <laughs> like the, the, it's there for a reason, you guys. <laughs> well, this is kind of the whole point of this story was that they were trying to. They were fix trying stupid. to fix stupid. <laughs> they really <laughs> thought they, they could. They the call was coming from inside the house, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> but so the British take originally uh, within British academia was all about selective breeding for positive traits. The idea was to encourage people with these like positive traits that you wanted to encourage in society, encourage these people to get together and, and breed, essentially, and that, you know, society would benefit from that. But. This is this is an optimistic idea, but it's very naive, of course. Um, but they kind of it was about like healthy children and stronger society. And on paper, who doesn't want? Yeah, children? we we all can get down with that. It yeah. makes a lot of sense. Who who doesn't want a strong society? Yeah, but then America happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Americans had to take it to a very dark place. Uh, they quickly instead who hurt focused us? on. <laughs> We did. We, we, we hurt did. ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, we quickly started focusing on eliminating negative traits. Bad genes quickly became a hidden menace that needed to be eliminated from the gene pool. So rather than encouraging people with positive traits to, to you know, hook up and have children, we were now saying people who had bad traits had to be prevented from having children. Trash. We couldn't. We had to fix stupid. Oh, God, you guys, I forgot this is about reproductive rights. Oh, damn. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, yes. shit. Yeah. 
Uh, Bring it back. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought it was going to be about one bad thing. Now it's about, but oh, no, sorry. Oh, no, there's so many bad You're things in this country. You're taking me on a journey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's of, a ride. Of horror. <laughs> yeah. Originally, when we talked on, about this on our show, it was a Halloween episode. Yeah. We're like, this is a real life I... horror story. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. Uh, so the first state to make a eugenics law was Indiana in 1907. And I'm just so happy it was in Ohio. Um, yeah, Stephanie's was, from Ohio. I was so relieved when I saw this in my research. I'm like, yes, okay. I mean, like, I don't think anyone's surprised by Indiana, but you, yeah. you're, you're right to be worried. Like, it's, yeah. it's next to one half dozen of the other. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. We're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. So after Indiana, it a bunch of similar laws followed quickly in a bunch of other states, most notably California. California's eugenics program was by far the largest and most organized eugenics program in the entire country. Yeah. So much so that the Germans turned to California to ask for advice on how to perfect and scale their own efforts in, in studying eugenics and putting it into practice. They're like, California knows what's up. Got this. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I'm just, uh, don't they know all the beautiful people in LA are transplants? Like, <laughs> no. come on. And the, they thought if we all get them in the same space and make them breed, everyone will benefit. They didn't those realize are all nip and tucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine what LA looked like before plastic surgery? Oh. <laughs> California was probably sure. like, I, I don't know that we can give you advice on this, but we can give you the name of our doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a miracle worker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so eugenics was not just law in this country, though. It was also a wildly popular social movement in the 1920s and 30s. And during this time, societies were founded for people who believed themselves to have superior genes uh, people were entering themselves in fitter family competitions and better baby competitions. And like you mentioned with the, the dog shows, people were entering themselves in genetic fitness yeah. contests at state fairs where they would literally be like measured their head, their bodies, yeah. their heads, proportions would be measured. Yeah. And they would pick like this person is like the perfect human Okay, because you know in the Yukonuba Doc show, when they pick their little tail up and put them on the thing, totally. they have to cut their balls. Yeah. So, like, that could be an awkward little moment <laughs> for y'all. Yeah. I don't, know how, <laughs> I don't know how who these judges were and how they were judging <laughs> these competitions, but I, I'm picturing some, some ball cupping. I, yeah. <laughs> minimum. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> minimum. Uh, some light ball cupping. <laughs> Uh, so eugenics was a huge part of American culture for over 50 years. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's still kind of a huge part. 
of her culture. I mean, not a huge part, but there are undertones for sure. It also feels like another, just bringing it back to the dog show, uh, as, <laughs> as we have to, the the idea of like, oh, instead of instead of encouraging good genes like we're gonna try it we're gonna stamp out the bad ones mm-hmm. yeah feels, and i might be 100 percent making this up because i don't actually know why people no longer like this man but feels very caesar milan uh oh, okay. of like oh yeah <laughs> he was like mean to dogs or something well, his, i think his, it's because his like disciplines like his uh his requirements for like training a dog i i think uh could don't at me, Caesar Milan. <laughs> or, like, lead with like exercise and discipline over oh. over like positive reinforcement. So, yeah. it's about like drawing firm lines, being like, I'm the alpha, and I want to be very clear in my household, I am not the alpha over <laughs> any of my animals. Same. Yeah, what a weird vibe, you know, to be on like I'm the alpha, and it's like you're at the top of the food chain you don't have to do this yeah caesar milan like chill out but like that idea of like like now we're now we now we know like it's you're gonna get more results uh with training an animal with like positive reinforcing Mm -hmm. the good and being a force of good versus just trying to like defeat what you perceive as bad and not understand anything behind it just be like yeah totally. look at you trying to make sense of this (laughs) i'm not saying it makes sense i'm just look at you using our extended metaphor i'm just (laughs) don't you said that about like 50 years eugenics in american history a a lot of people think of it in you know they think of the nazis and everything but wasn't there a lot of and i don't know that it was formalized eugenics but um early uh like past colonizing kind of at the height of slavery in the united states weren't were they using more of a like they were using the bible to justify slavery but i thought they were using genetics or superior race superiority as a reasoning behind that or i may have made that up well, that I, that's like white supremacy. They just, yeah. thought, you know. Okay. I didn't know than... if they had taken like a, tried to try it, quote unquote, take a scientific approach to it. Or if I just there, made that no, up There somewhere. was a, there is a, uh, uh, one of the schools of thought behind white supremacy was, was made up pseudoscience about. Yeah. Like that was, that was okay. one of the leading yeah thoughts behind it was was a literal supremacy in biology yeah i mean it was that nordic shit you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's like beginning of america like we yeah foundational it runs deep the system deep. is not broken you guys the system is working yeah absolutely it was as designed, designed this way yeah yeah totally so at first, these sterilization efforts, they kind of focused on sick or disabled people, i.e. the most vulnerable people. So kind of, you know, fuck them for that. Like, that's so awful. But later, it kind of just grew into people whose only crime was just being different or poverty. Um, it's so consistent and so upsetting. 
how wide the net they cast on this group of people that they wanted to control their their uh, reproduction. So this is where the movement meets Miss Carrie Bell. She was a poor teen from Charlottesville, um, you know, a place where only the best things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so in in this like Supreme Court case that bears her name, the state of Virginia wanted to sterilize her for quote unquote feeble mindedness. In their evidence, which is also in air quotes, their evidence was the fact that she was a poor pregnant teenager. Um, case closed, essentially. Let's so not, I, let's not solve the cause of anything. Yeah, let's not look at any of the roots. Let's yeah. just, you know, just make this 17 year old sacrificial lamb. Yeah. So I want to just stop here and just define feeble mindedness. I mean, there's really is there a formal I, definition for it? I, I mean, thought it was just a catch. Yes. I feel like we're back in another stodgy situation yeah. here. <laughs> it's very Absolutely. stodgy. The, yes. It is their the, brains are stodgy. It is the epitome of stodgy, this um feeble mindedness. Guys, we found our American equivalent. Oh my god. Oh no. Oh no. That oh cake god. is feeble minded. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, wow. I I'm gonna Whoa. have to sit with that for a, for a moment. Wow. Yeah, I kind of a commercial break right here. <laughs> Natalie, there comes a time in every episode where I need to talk to you about Iowa. Wait, is this a new segment? No, it's an ad for our sponsor, Raygun, who I love for being a wonderful business and for providing me with a regular excuse to bring up Iowa, as if you needed one. <laughs> right. Raygun is the greatest store in the universe, hands down. They're headquartered in the greatest state in the universe. Okay, okay. They also have other locations, including one in the best city in the universe, Chicago. True. I guess you could say Raygun brings us together. Raygun kind of brings everyone together. True again. From home goods and paper products to their signature apparel, Raygun is all about good vibes, great laughs, and kind of just not being a shitty person. Yup. And they regularly collaborate with charities and special causes on special runs of products and 15 to 30% of their net profits go to a variety of nonprofit organizations every year. And they sponsor this really dope history podcast I love. Right? So don't be a shitty person. (laughs) Check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code Share You Later to save on your next order. <laughs> we did it. We solved everything. Yes. <laughs> I now get it, you guys. I get it. It's come full circle. <laughs> so at the time, this this term was meant to mean just generally low intelligence, um, but it became this mania in this country. So there was this idea that we were being drowned in just a tide, a sea of these feeble-minded people. They were, you know, taking over. They were having more babies um, faster than intelligent people. It's a subcurrent that still is with us today. Like I hear people all the time saying like, oh, you know, they're having too many babies. And it's just like, mind your business, you know, mind your business. So in reality, it was a word that was just used to define a large category of people that were despised in some way. Drinking, gambling, not being married, not being rich made a person feeble-minded. 
Um, and of course, All right, you know, quick, sorry, everyone yeah. on this um, Zoom video and everyone listening at home, raise your hand if by that definition, right? you would be considered feeble-minded. Like, yes. <laughs> I've it's, seen a lot of hands in the air. Right? It's so, and, and the term got even worse and more slippery, of course, when applied to women. So a woman who is, God forbid, interested in sex, like it's fucking pleasurable or something, she was feeble-minded. It was just a giant category. It was a catch-all by design. And it was almost impossible to prove that you weren't feeble-minded. It was that generalized. Totally. Absolutely. It feels like feeble-minded is like the underprivileged community. Totally. Uh, uh, hysteria like mm -hmm. if yeah. the same person was more upper class they they're fine hysterical yes or eccentric yeah Ooh, totally yes yeah. yes this is unrelated to this story but we all we did a story once about a woman uh who grover cleveland actually had to try or tried to have this woman committed because he got her pregnant and she tried to like stop it um <laughs> But he had her committed to an asylum and the doctor, I can't remember the term, I think it was monomania, but one of the symptoms was strangeness. Strangeness. Well, what again, raise your hand if. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> strangeness. A woman with strangeness? Oh, God. Institutionalize her right Commit away. Commit her. Throw away <laughs> yeah. the key. Yeah. Oh, all right. So <laughs> back to Carrie. Collective growth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's look at the quote unquote facts in this <laughs> case. Yes. Uh, according to Dr. Bell, uh, Dr. Bell was the bell in Buck v. Bell. He was the superintendent of Virginia's colony for epileptics and the feeble minded. His uh, story, and it is a, a real story, a real tall tale in this case. <laughs> uh, his story was that Carrie's mother, Emma, was a feeble minded woman. She was sent to the colony in 1920, and as a result, Carrie was placed in foster care. There were no issues with her until she became a teenager and became rebellious and promiscuous. And strange. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. She started ex exhibiting strangeness. She hit puberty. <laughs> yeah, Doc. exactly. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the evidence of her promiscuity was that she became pregnant at 17. Uh, and after that, she was abandoned by her foster parents and sent to the same colony as her mother for feeble mindedness. She was examined by a judge and two doctors, all of them men. Examined. And, yeah. Yep. They, I roll. Yeah. They determined that she was feeble minded. <laughs> Imagine that. And when her daughter was born, Vivian was also pronounced feeble minded as an infant. Which is so absurd. Because like, like she's poor, and her her mom and grandma are both feeble minded. So clearly, yeah. She's, again, let's she, you know. according to science, yeah, uh, yes. exactly. Let's not make any moves towards systemic change and like nope. uh, attacking the things that are potentially leading to this. Let's still, decades later, not have any uh, state mandated comprehensive uh, sexual education. <laughs> no. That's communism. Well, yeah, that's yeah. Communism. Also, the people who would suggest that, strange. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Every single you one of them. You must be insane, Natalie, <laughs> for even yes. thinking that. Well, no, I'm I going to have you committed. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so Carrie, according to the state of Virginia, was a perfect candidate for sterilization. She was a woman of supposedly low intelligence. Uh, she came from a poor family. And according to a BS eugenics panel, she was, quote, oversexed and excessively fertile. Unbelievable. Which, like, what the fuck does excessively fertile mean? She's more susceptible to becoming pregnant than she's supposed to be? What? <laughs> uh, come on down. You win a prize. You've been yeah. found to be a perfect candidate <laughs> yeah, for I know. sterilization. <laughs> she had one baby too. I like, know. How is that excessively fertile? Like it's just one baby so too abs- many. If you're poor and strange, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Well, and you, unmarried, you're right. Yeah. Unmarried, yeah. Um. So this panel was acting on a newly minted sterilization act in that was signed into law in Virginia in 1924, which allowed for any incarcerated person deemed "quote unquote" defective to be sterilized involuntarily by the state. And when Virginia wrote this bill, they made it sound totally great and fluffy. They sounded, they made it sound like they were doing these people a favor. Yeah. By taking away their, yeah. Great at marketing. Totally. So good. Yeah. Yeah. This bill said. It's an art form. (laughs) So the bill said, whereas the Commonwealth has in custodial care and is supporting in various state institutions, many defective persons who, if now discharged or paroled, would likely become, by the propagation of their kind, a menace to society, but who, if incapable of procreating, might properly and safely be discharged or paroled and become self-supporting with benefit both to themselves and to society. Oh, they're so great for that. Yeah. Just cutting out your uterus. How wonderful. I know. Thank you. And then you can can go back and live your life. just not have children. It's fine. And it's probably great. be sent a bill for this procedure that was involved. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. So this law goes on to say that the superintendent of any state facility can authorize surgeons to sterilize any patient confined to an institution who is afflicted with, quote, hereditary forms of insanity, idiocy, imbecility, feeble-mindedness, or epilepsy. Okay. So only one of those terms is real. Epilepsy. <laughs> yeah. Like, also, like, feeble-minded, idiocy, and imbecility. Like, what's they the all difference feel very similar. The, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's Somebody no difference. Got a thesaurus for Christmas, <laughs> and that, those are also associated with epilepsy. Like, yeah, I know. Confusing. Yeah, that this colony was called the Virginia Colony for epileptics and the feeble-minded. That sounds fucking stodgy to me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, so there would be this this BS. Now I get process. that stodgy's bad, you guys. Okay, I get it. I thought it was about French fries and carbs. Okay, oh I take it back. Oh. No, that's what pass means. Is, uh, that that oh. sounds like it's loaded with carbohydrates. <laughs> oh my god. So, so there would be this, <laughs> this BS review process and patients would be given 30 days notice and told that their fallopian tubes would be cut out of their body. I'm like, why? Yeah, why why even bother? Tell them? Yeah. 
you're you're not giving them a choice. They can't escape. They can't get out of what it. What are they going to do with their 30 bonus days that you're granting of, of them having fallopian tubes? Yeah. Live in fear and misery? Yeah, exactly. It's just Those cruel. imbeciles. <laughs> <sighs> so the truth of the matter here is that Carrie was not feeble-minded. Uh, we don't really know much about her mother, Emma Buck, other than the fact that she was poor she was married to some deadbeat who abandoned her early in her marriage. She ended up having kids with another man. And because of this, she was accused of immorality, prostitution, and... You want to guess? Feeble-mindedness? Yes! You got Hello. it! Ding, 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 ding. Gold star! <laughs> uh, so after this, she was committed to the state colony. But she was just a poor single mother who had three children with two different dads. The like, horror... Who fucking cares? Exactly. Uh, so when she was committed, Carrie was placed with foster parents. Uh, their names were Alice and John Dobbs. She was sent to public school. And according to her teacher, she was a totally average student. She she loved to read. She was doing, you know, not great, but she was doing fine. Uh, but despite all this, in the sixth grade, her foster parents, the Dobbses, removed her from school and brought her home basically to be their maid. They were like, you're going to do the housework. You're you're like a woman now. I was holding and, off on making a comment about the foster system not necessarily always being good for everybody. And then I was like, no, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And then there it was. Yeah. yeah. My, yeah. my mother was actually a foster parent for a long time. And I have an adopted sister who came to us as a foster kid. But there are a lot of really bad foster families out there. Really, really bad. There are always people who are also like, in in it for the wrong reasons yeah totally, totally. absolutely all yeah. it takes yeah um so when they took her out of school brought her home to to do the housework that's when she was raped by alice dobbs's nephew so months later probably when she started to show the dobbs's had her committed to the virginia colony for epileptics and the feeble-minded on the grounds of feeble-mindedness how convenient yeah they're so wrong for that <sighs> so there she gave birth to a daughter named vivian and since she was declared mentally unfit to raise a child the dobbses were given the baby and allowed to adopt the baby let's perpetuate the cycle yep. yeah <laughs> so when i first found this scandal i was confused because clearly no one gives a shit about carrie buck like who the hell is going to bring a lawsuit on her behalf um, so the answer is no one. The whole lower court trial was a sham. Carrie was hand selected from the institution as a test case. Um, in Virginia, the, their eugenics law didn't have any real challenges, but when other states tried to duplicate it, their laws failed. So when eugenicists, they needed like a rock solid case to bring before the Supreme Court, Virginia's medical elite hand selected carrie buck she and was basically a patsy so that oh yeah set to set precedent off. yeah exactly Ugh. to set precedent <sighs> so she was according to them a second generation feeble-minded woman who just gave birth to a third generation the state manufactured evidence, like fully just lied on her. Her lawyer, instead of defending her, conspired with the state against her. Um, so what did the Supreme Court? 
do the this body that's supposed to protect the most marginalized they swooped in and they saved the day they <laughs> did like, the right thing bullshit. yes and then they committed the other lawyers the prosecution <laughs> and, and everything was okay okay yes. that's it podcast over yep. thank you so much for coming <laughs> on you guys <laughs> Today is Today opposite is, day. Yes, America <laughs> is the best. <laughs> and the Supreme Court will save us. Work. Oh. oh my God, the Supreme Court will save us. How dare you say that? <laughs> I am too fragile for that comment right now. <laughs> so, you know, they did the opposite of what they should have done. Um, but I did give them the benefit of the doubt when I first started researching because most of what they heard was lies. Get this, they allow the state... Um, to bring witnesses who never actually met Carrie to testify against her. There were teachers who testified about how, test about, testified about the behavior of her cousins in school. Like, how does that <laughs> have to do with me? Like, why are you bringing in my cousins? Like, we it's all just... have cousins that we do not want to be lumped in with. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> so some elitist asshole named Harry Laughlin, um, who also never met Carrie, he has a quote. This He said that Carrie Buck and her family were part of the shiftless, ignorant, and worthless class of antisocial whites of the South, whose feeble-mindedness is caused by the inheritance of degenerate qualities this bitch like and who invited you again like yeah. keep you don't even go here you don't even go here you're talking about my cousins like what is happening like where did you inherit your bad attitude and your <laughs> shitty opinions yeah keep carrie's name out of your mouth um <laughs> so in, in digging deeper into this particular like supreme court I'm not 100% sure that they would have done anything differently had they heard the truth, like the facts surrounding Carrie's case. It would be hard to imagine a more less sympathetic, more elitist group of men. So for starters, the chief justice was the ex-president, um, William Howard Taft. This dude was supposed to set the tone for the court, and yet he had direct ties to um, the eugenics movement in this country. Um that's it's fine no yeah. conflict of interest it's no, no big deal yeah, yeah totally fine also the conservative wing of this court um somehow chief justice was not part of the conservative wing which is like a story say, for oh my god day. are we talking about a liberal wing just now? <laughs> <laughs> essentially yes right. he was the moderate oh which is frightening so the conservative wing they were later nicknamed the four horsemen of the apocalypse they were that bad and this was at the time they were that bad at the time like oh god yes yeah. <laughs> so there's no oh god this is so terrible so there's no formal portrait of this supreme court because one of the justices refused to sit next to lewis brandeis who is the only jewish member of the court this is the only year that this happened they don't they, want to sit. they didn't yeah. do what year was this this was um, 2027, I believe. 20... Were they also pen pals? Oh my God, I thought you were saying 2019. I was like, wait a oh, minute. No, no. <laughs> 1927. Okay, 1927. Or in the, in the 1920s. So. Still yeah, not 1920s. happy about it, but... <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, we jumped real far. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm not 
I wouldn't be entirely surprised. I know, um, seriously. But still yeah. deeply upset and troubled. Yeah. It's upsetting. So, but the so there's just there's no portrait for that year? No portrait for this year because they had the one Jewish member for the first time and they're just like, I'm not sitting next to that guy. We can wow. make history, but we can't document it because I don't want to sit next to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outrageous, right? So the court, they came down eight to one in a decision um, that ruled that the that ruled that Virginia's compulsory, compulsory, that's a hard word, compulsory, <laughs> Virginia's compulsory sterilization of the quote unquote unfit, which included the intellectually disabled, did not violate the 14th Amendment because according to them, it was for the protection and health of the state, which is just such garbage. In this ruling, it, emb- it emboldened 30 other states to adopt their own laws leading to the sterilization of hundreds of thousands of people without any sort of consent. Like, consent, what's that? Can, can you eat it? Like, they, no <laughs> consent. Well, mission accomplished for yeah. that precedent. Totally. Uh, so there was a judge on this court who was considered, like, the progressive beacon of, of the Supreme Court at the time, uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., and he was right there with them on this decision. He wrote the majority opinion in this decision because this was sort of seen in a lot of circles as a progressive idea that it was. you you wanted to improve society through eugenics and, and a lot like of like social reform, like yeah, Teddy totally. Roosevelt tight shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this was, you know, this was a very sort of like liberal progressive kind of uh, push in the 20s. I mean, um, it- I mean, it kind of still is today. Like, I I know people who say, like, oh, you know, poor people are having too many kids, like, on the left. And it's just like, what? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, they're breeding too fast. And it's just like, what business is this of yours? Like, this current is still with us, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and that's when you realize a lot of it, too, has to do with class, you know? Absolutely. Whatever right or left you're on, Mm -hmm. you're also up or down, you know? Yep, up or down. Yeah, far left and you're a high tax bracket. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, again, like, not necessarily, like, not looking at systemic reasons why that might be happening or, like, whether, like, first of all, ignoring whether or not these pregnancies are by choice or not yeah yeah uh and then not unpacking that further at all uh, just literally looking at numbers on a census if that and being like ah. yeah <laughs> totally rabble rabble <laughs> uh but so he used when he wrote this majority opinion he used a single case for for like precedent for sterilization the case was jacobson uh versus massachusetts and that case dealt with forced smallpox vaccination <laughs> He basically was saying that, like, the state did it for the good of society, you know, forcing vaccination on Massachusetts. So this is the same thing. It's fine. Just go for it. He wrote, Carrie Bell, or excuse me, Carrie Buck is a feeble-minded white woman. She is the daughter of a feeble-minded mother in the same institution and the mother of an illegitimate feeble-minded child. We have seen more than once that the public welfare may call upon the best citizens for their lives. It would be strange if it could not call upon those who already sap the strength of the state for these lesser sacrifices often not felt uh, to be such by those who are uh, concerned. 
to prevent our being swamped with incompetence, it is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. The principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. When I read that, I wanted to fight him. Like, <laughs> really, I wanted to, I wanted to catch him outside. Um, yeah, I want to find the technology. Yeah, to bring him back to life. Yeah, so that I can punch him to death. <laughs> yes, in the dick. It, yeah. Well, yes, yeah. obviously, <laughs> sterilize him. <laughs> kick, kick him in the dick to death. <laughs> yeah this whole statement is such bullshit obviously yeah, their kind like ew yeah the propagation of their kind and saying that like any, everyone would benefit and saying the whole thing about like not uh not felt to be a sacrifice by those concerned what do you how Says do you get you. to decide yeah that like people who are being sterilized don't mind also saying like doing like the cost benefit analysis of like exactly. we would have to all surely all of these uh children that are being created would be a blight on on our entire existence and would end up in the in the prison system and then we yeah. have to execute them anyway so exactly yeah you don't get to decide that yeah yeah <sighs> But, it, you know, it's also bullshit because of the whole vaccination thing. We actually recently did an episode. You just did an episode recently. About yeah. yeah. On sort of early vaccination, f focusing on smallpox in, in yeah. Massachusetts. Um, and the thing is, smallpox is incredibly deadly. Yeah. Every Oof. wave of smallpox killed thousands of people. It kills 15 or killed because it's now eradicated thanks to vaccination. For it, now. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. It, it killed 15 to 30 percent of anyone who caught smallpox. 15 to 30 percent of them died. Not That's scary. Hope. So there's no equivalent here of saying that like smallpox vaccination is good for society and so is is sterilization because no one is dying from coming into contact with a feeble-minded person quote unquote feeble-minded it yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense yeah stupid is uh, not contagious exactly also, yeah feeble-minded is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so there was one nay vote in this decision uh, pierce butler was the court's only catholic at the <gasps> time and he I just gasped because he's a Catholic. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine <laughs> ruling the country in the 20s? Um, so the one thing, though, is that he never wrote a dissent. So we don't really know what his thinking was and like why he voted against this decision. Um, some say that he may have not written a dissent because he might not have wanted to piss off all of his co-workers or it was a silent protest or something like that. But generally, I just feel like he should have taken a stand. He should have. Yeah. At least said like fuck all y'all. At least if you're something. gonna dissent, dissent. Yeah, Thank you. Exactly. And like it would be nice to be able to go back and look and be like, okay, this guy knew what was up, but we don't know. Um, but so Holmes, the the guy who wrote the majority opinion, later described the Buck v. Bell case as an assignment that quote gave me pleasure. Again, I I need to fight this man. <laughs> Let's resurrect him. Yeah, and. 
one author uh, that Stephanie found when she was researching this wrote that eugenics was a movement of people who believed themselves to be inherently superior. And Holmes was one of those people. He never questioned the version of Carrie Buck's life that was presented to him in court because that version of her life was exactly what he wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Classic case. Oh. So there isn't a ton of information about what happened to Carrie post-ruling, but what little I was able after to- she was used as a prop? Yes. After she was used as a prop and her fallopian tubes were cut out of her body without her consent. um, Yeah, there isn't much information about her. Um, What little I found on the internet is pretty tragic. So she was discharged soon after being sterilized. Um, Her daughter Vivian, who was unfortunately raised by the Dobbses, she died really young. She died of the measles when she was only eight. And Carrie did not even learn until months after the child's death that she was she was gone. Um, her mother too died pretty young, and she found out when she was going to visit her mother two weeks later that she had missed the funeral and that her mother was dead. Can you imagine showing up <sighs> to visit your mom and they're like, "Oh yeah, she died weeks ago." Yeah, like enough bad things has not happened to this woman. Like yeah. she just had a really unfortunate life. She was married twice, but she, because the court was trying to make her out to be this like loose woman with like, you know, a woman of the night. She had no morals. She was married twice, but she only got married after her first husband died. Um, I mean, even if she was a loose woman, like you shouldn't be doing all of this, obviously. Yeah, right. You can't do like, oh, she got a divorce. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like, according to your standards, I did this right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, so Carrie was not feeble-minded, as we've all, you know, we all know. She liked to read the newspaper. She loved crossword puzzles. She never had a ton of money because she was a working woman. Like most working women of the time, she was working a pretty low-wage job. Um, the people who knew her never saw any signs of, of mental deficiency in any way. By, by all real accounts, she just had normal intelligence. Mm-hmm. So in 1980, reporters asked her what she thought about the Supreme Court case that bore her name. This was the first time she was ever asked, which is like, what? No one, no one even interviewed you for this? So she, it's it's just, yeah. So she told reporters that her greatest regret was that she was unable to have any more children. She said that she didn't really fully understand the procedure until seven years after the procedure was done. And this is a quote from her. She says, they done me wrong. They done us all wrong. Um, I don't know if you guys, have you ever heard of the term Mississippi appendectomy? Yes. Okay. What's that? It's like, (laughs) it's essentially this, but for like poor people of color, women of color in the South. You would go in for an appendectomy and you would while they're leave. in there. Yeah. What while, while you're open, we can just, you know, we can just cut out these fallopian tubes and not tell you. Know you you know, yeah, this was a practice that was really it was done all throughout the Jim Crow South. And it I mean, I guess it stopped around the sixties and seventies, but like it yeah, it was going strong for a really long time. And in native women too, like there was 
there were a lot of really fucked up things happening at um like the indian affairs um the the health service air quotes around health service that they had yeah um they were also doing this women would go in for a minor procedure and leave with their missing their reproductive organs um this is why people don't go to the doctor this is why there's so many stigmas among totally um people of color of mm-hmm. certain classes where yeah. it's just ingrained in them like we're not going to the doctor yeah like, it's never good been reason. good for us yeah, yeah totally and in puerto rico they did tons of i mean i'm getting off to- topic this is not in my outline but it's just top of mind because this stuff happened for a really long time and i think it's important that people know about it mm-hmm. um let's see where was i to do, do, do so after this after she was finally asked by a reporter like what she how she felt about what happened to her she died three years after this interview she would get some like bs posthumous um apology by the state of virginia 75 years after the fact the governor at the time he called it a quote shameful effort in which the state government never should have been involved however you were involved sir i know you're a sir (laughs) you were involved (laughs) So in 1935, this is a decade after Virginia's um, eugenics laws, the practice was still going pretty strong, but not strong enough for some people in Virginia. There were a number of Virginia doctors, which is like, wow, you're medical professionals, who were complaining that, quote unquote, the Germans are beating us at our own game. This was in 1938. Yeah. Our own game. This is not a game. This is like women's lives, their bodies. This is a weird competition to want to win. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So it's it's not surprising that Buck V. Bell was decided in the roaring 20s because this was a decade that was really, really politically charged. Some would even say more politically charged than today. Definitely. The KKK was at their peak in the 20s. Prohibition was happening, so people were, like, losing their shit. Creationists were battling Darwinists. And there was all of this anti-Catholic and anti-Semitic sentiment. And Congress was writing some of the most restrictive immigration law in in our nation's history uh, because they wanted to protect the country from, quote-unquote, foreign contamination. I roll. Yeah, like For- word choice I know. That's yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Come on. 40 to 50% of Jewish people coming to America from Eastern Europe were labeled feeble-minded at Ellis Island. Like, how do you fucking know? You just looked at them and decided that they're feeble-minded because they're Correct. Jewish? This country was giving out feeble-mindedness like they were Oprah. You get feeble-mindedness <laughs> and you get feeble-mindedness. <laughs> Which if I'm if I'm in a in a different country and I'm seeing this and I would just be like, man, it just seems statistically more likely for an American to be feeble minded. <laughs> totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's there funny. must be something in the water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> People think that someone who doesn't speak English very well is I mean, to this day, like feeble minded or dumb or First of all, they're speaking two languages. Exactly. To your yeah. one. So yeah. I could totally see like, oh, these people coming in, they don't speak English or they don't speak it very well. They must be dumb. No, they've already mastered their language and they're yeah. now working on yours. Totally. If anything, you're the feeble-minded asshole. Yeah, it, you're <laughs> not wrong at all. 
But eugenics was was a very sexy idea it because it had this like thin veneer of science behind it. And and this quote unquote science gave justification to this us versus them mindset that we already had. We yeah. already wanted to believe this stuff, mm. but then this just gave us a, a pass. We're, I'm not an asshole. I just believe in science. And the idea is that- I'm Dr. That, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Nick. Do you guys, I don't know how well you know The Simpsons, but Dr. Nick is like our favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they believed that, that genes were the reason for a person's success and sh- social standing. And this was a very seductive idea that basically absolved American society from having to take any responsibility for our failings. Mm-hmm. We were letting people rot in poverty, waste away in institutions, but it, it wasn't our fault. These people were genetically predetermined to be poor or mentally ill or disabled. And the fact of the matter is most of us will move in and out of disability at some point in our lives, whether it's due to illness or injury or just aging. Yeah, pregnancy. We will have some sort of disability at some point. Mm. But eugenics said, this wasn't our fault. We just had to stop people with bad genes from breeding. You know what? Like, those are, are like, medical professionals who've studied and genuinely believe that. I remember as a kid, my mom, like, being sarcastic and me knowing she was being sarcastic – I was so, I'm still so messy. I have food all over me at all times. Yeah. She was like, well, you know, your grandpa spilled food all over him too. It's genetic. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm a messy eater. That's clearly a joke. I'm a child and yeah. can yeah. recognize that. You mm-hmm. a grown ass man who went to schools. Oh God, yeah. I just, I hate, mm, sorry. No, you're genetically pre predestined <laughs> to be a messy eater. <laughs> yeah when the real the reality here is i think you already said this this is just about status quo it's about maintaining totally. the status quo absolutely it was a justification for the fact that we wanted to keep foreigners and undesirable elements out of our country and or in take, their place yeah, yeah and take away the rights of the poor the sick and the disabled the state of virginia conspired to deprive this poor uneducated perfectly intelligent teenager and take away her liberty her dignity her bodily integrity and her right to choose whether or not she wanted to have children and the the bottom line is she only had a child because she was raped not because she was passed down some feeble-mindedness gene and it's really fucked up that the supreme court co-signed on this but what happened to uh, to Carrie Buck in 1927 is still relevant today because, well, first of all, do you guys want to guess when this decision was was like stricken down or overturned? What year? I, it's gonna I want to say heart. like, yeah, like way too recent. It never was. You tricked us. Yes, <laughs> it's still on the books. Still on the books, still being well, of used. Of course it's still on the books. They're, apparently nobody's learning about it in law school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's only there when you this, use it as precedent. Exactly. And this case was cited in Roe versus Wade. The people were that were trying to, to decide against 
abortion that were fighting against abortion said that this case showed that certain people by law didn't have quote an unlimited right to do with one's body as one pleases unbelievable this was the precursor to modern anti-abortion bills have you seen those like listicles of ridiculous laws that still exist just because like they were yeah. from old like agriculture yes. like, you yeah, know, like if you're taking the wagon on the road at the time of whatever like yeah they're like hasn't... women can't like more than three women can't live in the same house because they're witches like there's yeah. a law like that in ohio yeah, it's like, like you can't eat strawberry ice cream on sunday if you're wearing white shoes <laughs> like they're so arbitrary <laughs> and we yeah. haven't like taken them out just because there's so many dumb ridiculous ones that they clearly don't matter this one matters <laughs> yes like go. let's go in there and, yeah. and fix this yeah, yeah. If it's something that we're still reaching to for precedent and defense, then very yes. clearly it is still in use in some way. And Absolutely. it's being used. Looked at. That's why it hasn't been overturned, because it is still useful. Yeah. In someone's in some people's minds. Yeah. System isn't broken. Nope. Yep. Very much designed this way. Yeah. I, I hate this. I know. Well, that's it. That's the story. So yeah. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it anymore. And We're sorry. This, no, this wonderful thing <laughs> that you have given us more people to hate and shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. your list. Thank you yes. for this gift. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of just more, more people and a, and a fun twist, uh, <laughs> Cass and I would invite you if so very clearly this is a story that needs to be told and more people should know about it if they were to make a uh a historical drama or a film, <laughs> uh oh. about uh Buck Buck V Bell who would you cast in the role of Carrie Buck in the role of John Hendren Bell and let's throw let's throw Oliver Holmes in there Okay. Let's cast mm. that are... bitch. Oh, wow, that's a. These I feel are... like I feel like Oliver Holmes could be like John Voight. Like we need someone who's just like feels very sweaty and like scary <laughs> uh -huh. and like pink. And this like um, Gary Busey. Yeah. Ooh, totally. I was about to say this isn't a condemnation of the actor that we're casting, but no. oh, <laughs> my bad. I mean. <laughs> It doesn't have to be. It's just what? like also, but also Gary Busey would be great. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. It could also just be who is who you imagine in this role. Who is like the range to be mm. this much of a dick? Yeah. But then also it can be actors who you don't particularly care for. <laughs> uh that's such a good question. I feel like I need to mull on this for a minute this is a question that would be perfect for russell like russell um oh tucks husband. husband would have already answered yeah he would have given you three different people for each um for, <laughs> totally. for each. like so and so gets first refusal and if they're yeah, yeah. If they pass totally. on it, then he was raised by the tv like he knows he knows so many actors um let's see carrie carrie hmm. was 17 when she was pregnant so she was probably like early 20s when this case happened right yeah, twenty one. We can like reverse 21. age an actor. We can okay. be like, <laughs> That's a, like a young Maggie Gyllenhaal or something. Mm. I like that. I like a Mag a young Maggie Gyllenhaal. I feel like she would be able to play this sort of like. She clearly didn't really understand what was happening. She was just like the state wheeled her in and set her there, and they're like, 
we're going to battle this out. You just shut up. Yeah. I feel like Zendaya could also do this because mm. she's just good at like looking moody. She can moody. do anything. First and she can do anything. Yeah. She can do no wrong. She can play every role. She can play all these roles, actually. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna nutty professor this but yes. <laughs> it's zendaya, zendaya would be great because she just does like oh she looks devastated yeah. so well and she so has well. that kind yeah. of quiet like brooding sort yeah. of intensity oh i'm, I'm obsessed with her thinking about her acting in that i know it doesn't exist right now <laughs> i'm gonna say alec baldwin for holmes oh okay Ooh. oh okay you know he's like he's good at playing like, uh, yeah, a conservative asshole. After he is, he's good at playing very unlikable but understandably yeah. charismatic. Totally, he's really yeah. good at squinting. You guys, like really, really, really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to squint off between <laughs> Alec Baldwin and Clint Eastwood. Oh, yes. squint off. Um. Can I say that I would cast Backstreet Boys and NSYNC minus Justin Timberlake as a Supreme Court because there was <laughs> oh my no God. portrait yes. of them, yes. so there was no yes. proof that, right. it, that it couldn't be accurate. Oh my God, I, I love, love that. that. Yeah, or like some K-pop band. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't get a portrait, so yeah. I'm sure they looked like yeah. this. I'm sure it was these people. <laughs> We're gonna need a musical number in the middle of this film. Yes. Oh my God, <laughs> this should be delivered in musical number yes <laughs> i love musicals like i have no standard for musicals like i love it all like it's like french fries like there's no such thing as a bad musical <laughs> like prove me wrong i'll fight you in the streets like i i love zendaya in the the greatest showman even though that the whole premise of that movie is trash yeah <laughs> you're like rooting for the wrong person but i i just i love and the whole time you're like why why am i yeah. Why am I rooting for you? Why am You're I the invested? worst character in all of this? You treat your staff like garbage. Like, yeah. But, but so handsome. <laughs> thank you. That's part of it. <laughs> uh, what about Belle? What about a. Uh... Oh, yeah. We need someone who looks evil. Yeah, I'm. Maybe I'll go. I'll reverse roles and go big Gary Busey for that. I think. Okay. We got. <laughs> We got Alec Baldwin as as Holmes and Okay, I can agree to that. Yeah. Quite I just googled evil looking actors. <laughs> Ooh. I'm like Come Willem Dafoe. Ooh, Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe was really gonna be the good. first one I cement I was gonna guess when you oh said evil looking actor. <laughs> uh, yeah. What a soft boy. Ray Fines. I mean Voldemort <laughs> himself. Ooh, that voice. Danny Trejo is on there. Oh my God, Danny Trejo! I love Danny Trejo. He can no, he can't play that role. <laughs> no, he's a national treasure. He's, he is. He's, yeah. Now I'm looking at all these photos of evil actors. <laughs> uh, oh, this guy from um, what is this guy's name? He's like Spanish. Um, Benicio he, del Toro. No, he was in uh, No Country for Old Men. I Javier Bardem. Bardem, yes. Yeah. I feel like he can do evil really well with a page boy haircut for sure <laughs> oh my god that haircut was the most disturbing part of that film <laughs> i I, a, I sometimes will watch i'll be like watching a movie and i'll know that that actor didn't have a wig they had that haircut and i'll be like 
I'm always like, I hope that shot was shot on an aggressive schedule. How can you tell? That's amazing. Is this like your your like special power, your superpower? Her party tricks. <laughs> the way it moves. No. Just like or sometimes I'll be watching something and I'll just be like, God, I hope that's a wig. Like oh, I oh yeah, totally. get that actor yeah. the favor of not having Oh, having to wear that to commit hair. to that look. Yeah. I feel like Javier, like that was his hair. I feel like that was his hair. Yo yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like I like this cast. I like I like this cast. <laughs> That's I'd watch that movie. Yeah, Zendaya, Gary BTS, Beauty, Willem Dafoe, yeah. Baldwin, Javier, <laughs> Dreamcast, the whole Supreme Court. So we can fit most of the people on that list of mm -hmm. uh, actors who look evil on there if we wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I want Sally Fields as as uh, uh, Carrie Buck's mom, mm. Emma. I want yes. Yes. everything. Mm -hmm. Nothing but Sally Fields for me. I like her. I really do like her. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got that. I, yeah, I was like waiting for it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Uh, it was like, it will I not edit out that delay. <laughs> that joke was meant for you, Tom. Yes, thank you. Being an old woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh gosh! Amazing. Thank you guys for joining us. And this has been magical. Yeah, but uh, thank you for having us. History. Thank you. I know. <laughs> I hope we didn't break your audience with, I know. with oh, this we story. I'm a lot. Okay. Yeah. Like, can we put them through hell? Let's have a good time. So all these people died, <laughs> and it was fully preventable, and everything's on fire. And sprinkle in like way too whimsical anecdotes mm -hmm. and references in between. Yes, there. okay. I mean, so. there's no other way to do it when you're talking about this you kind of can't. stuff. You can't. You have to. Yeah. You have to make it palatable. Otherwise, it's just stodgy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And on that note. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys again for joining us. Everybody yeah. check out Beyond Reproach. It's great. It's I really love the episode about uh, about the vaccination mandates. There is a lot thank to you. learn there and a lot to arm and equip yourself for arguments with dum-dums. Yeah. Feeble-minded uh, people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, we're not going to sterilize them. No. We're just going <laughs> to converse with them. Yes. That's, oh. that's what makes us different. Uh -huh. Yes, <laughs> and that's why we're better than everyone else. Ah, uh, yes, we are superior. Thanks for tuning in. That's the moral of the story. We're better than everyone. You all suck. Just kidding. We love you, listeners. And if you love us back, you can donate to our Patreon. <laughs> Great segue. Uh, uh, no, all the information for that is in the doobly doo. Uh, check out at Shared Pod for, you know visual aids of this cast that we've just put together oh my god yes. um oh that i'm sure yes. will be brilliant and uh if you have any questions corrections or suggestions we didn't tell the story but you can send them to <laughs> shared history podcast at gmail.com i trust stephanie and tux implicitly and they can tell <laughs> anything and i'd believe it because they just That's misguided but thank you yeah sorry. <laughs> you're wrong but thank you <laughs> just so sweet and charismatic thank you uh tell everybody where to find and listen to you and find you guys on social media personally if you want that kind of attention oh we do <laughs> <laughs> we're at uh pretty much every handle yeah. we have yeah is, all the pod places yeah uh, beyond reproach pod 
on all of the social medias. And then our website is beyondreproachpod.com. Gotta love consistency. Mm-hmm. It's we're we're on all of the podcast platforms. We're on Patreon too. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, come find like us. A yeah. Big history podcast Patreon fund. And then everybody can just put everything there. Seriously. <laughs> it just goes to the community. Uh thank you for joining us. Um, friends and listeners. I don't want to make it sound like not all of our listeners are friends and not all of our friends are <laughs> listeners, but friends and listeners, uh, we'll we'll catch you next time. Until then. I tried. Broadsheet Radio.